You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions, a trivia game show meant to teach us more about Black history. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how it works. We've got five rounds of questions about us, Black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher and the guest has 10 seconds to answer. If they answer correctly, they'll receive one symbolic black fist and hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we still love them anyway. And after the five trivia questions, there will be a black bonus round just for fun. And I like to call it Black Lightning. Our guest for this episode is award-winning chef Gennard Wells. He cooks for celebrities. He's been part of several Food Network shows. He has his own television show, New Soul Kitchen, on Clio TV, which is a network for millennial women of color, by the way. And he's also a best-selling cookbook author. His latest book is Southern Inspired. And he's also the author of 88 Ways to Our Heart and Southern Modified. Chef Gennard works to highlight Black food and Black culture. Hello, Chef. How are you? Thank you so much for joining the Blackest Questions. Are you ready to play? Look, hello. How are you? I am so excited to be here. Don't know how I'm going to do, but look, I'm ready to have a good time. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. And I know you're going to do fantastically. Okay, let's jump right in. Question number one. I feel it. I'm sending you good energy. This popular Southern Louisiana dish originated from West Africa and is described by some as being an intersection of three cultures. West African, Native American, and European. What dish am I describing? Hmm. Would that be gumbo? That is correct. It's gumbo. Gumbo gets its name from the West African word that means okra. Yes. When West Africans were brought to America during the transatlantic slave period, they brought with them pods from the okra plant, which were not native to America. Okra is a key ingredient in the West African version of the dish. Native Americans use filet powder to thicken their gumbo. And Europeans use rue as a thickener instead of filet or okra. So, Chef Gennard, I hear you are a huge fan of gumbo. Do I you am. do anything special to make a drink? You want to give us some secrets to your recipe? You know, I think one of my biggest secrets to my gumbo is I love adding dried shrimp to it. You can get the dehydrated shrimp out of some of your local grocery stores where you see a lot of your dry, like where the gumbo filet is. But that dried shrimp, adding just that to it. It's more so in a powder form, just like the filet, but it really enriches and brings that dish to life with everything else. So I always tell people that flavor, it's all about the flavor and building on top of that for any gumbo experience. But gumbo is really meant for unity, just like you say with the okra. The okra was used as a thickening agent at one point. But now, look, we like our okra all kind of ways inside me personally. What I do, because I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like the slime, and it comes from the okra, which is the thickening part of it. I put okra in the oven. I roast it first with a little oh. salt, cracked black pepper, olive oil, and then garnish it over the top of my gumbo. I have always loved okra. My mom made a steamed okra. As kids, we loved the slimy yeah. effect of it. <laughs> my grandmother used to make that slam and fried okra from the okra in her backyard, which was, you oh, know, I mean, fried sometimes okra like- okra rum a lot? Yes. Oh my goodness. And you know, her okra was like 10 inches long, you know, this beautiful okra. Why is okra so divisive though? You know, like sometimes you tell people you like okra and that's one of those those vegetables where 
I feel like folks either love it or they hate it. Or You've never crazy. met someone who's like, eh, I don't really have thoughts on okra. And I think the biggest thing is, is experiencing okra prepared properly. Like you said, mm. there are so many variations of making okra. And normally people are only faced with the stigmatism of when they see in the okra stewed and that typically turns them away. But they don't realize that's one of the best parts of it. But I it think if you offer them an okra in a variation of either fried or roasted, it then changes the concept. Because that's how I introduce it to a lot of people who are experiencing okra for the first time or who has that negative, uh, I don't really like the slightness. I got it just the way you want. Cracked black pepper, salt, olive oil, and then I love dusting it with just the note of cinnamon to really bring it to life. What? Yeah. Roast that okay. on. Yeah, you, you, you can eat on that for days. Now, see, I've never had it with roast cinnamon, but Jeff, I trust you, so I will, I will try it that way. I will say, some of the best fried okra I've ever had is at the restaurant at the Hilton in Jackson, Mississippi. Let me tell you, I had it about six or seven years ago. I'm still thinking about it every morning when I wake up. Exactly, but it look, it's good to see that you're sharing a little love to the sip, because oddly enough, that's where after my I was born and raised in Chicago, and my family decided to move to Mississippi which was a complete shock for me going from from the big city to the to the country life as I say cornfields dirt roads and cotton fields but it ultimately ended up being the best thing for best thing that could have ever happened to me especially from the food standpoint and really learning about the culture of of cooking food and my father so happened to be be trio as well so that weighed a lot into my style of cooking and what I love well that's what I want to ask you because I you you took your love of the cuisine and you turned it into a career, which a lot of people aren't able to take their passions and turn it into a profession. And you mentioned your dad's Creole and he was a Creole chef as well. Yes. And your mom was a pastry chef. So tell us a little bit more about growing up in a house clearly surrounded by love and food and some really talented people. Food was really the focal point. As, as my, my mother would always say, the first ingredient to cooking is always the cast iron skillet. People... People say, oh, it's love. And she'd be like, no, you put the love in the cast iron skillet. But that's always the first ingredient, a nice, good aged cast iron skillet. But growing up in the South, that's what I saw was the focal point of everything was food. Because if we didn't have anything else, we had food and we had family love. And when my great grandparents and my mother and father would get together and cook, it would just be people from all around coming to just experience that. Because they had, we had over 200 farm acres, 200 acres of farmland. It's actually still in our family to this day. But every kind of livestock, um, even from, from grains, from soybeans to corn, we grew it. So I had that experience of learning what it was like to, to actually hang meat in the smokehouse and watch whole shoulders cure. Go ahead, sneaking in the smokehouse and slicing the stripper, uh, as they call it, that that sat back off to taste. And then my granddad would be like, boy, where you been? And I'd be like, uh, nowhere. He was like, I can smell this smokehouse all over your clothes. See, the smokehouse would tell off on you every time. That's right. But it was the love and the culture of seeing how food would bring people together that truly made me fall in love with it. Absolutely. And, you know, you're, you're making me think about so many great memories you know, my mother's side of the family, they're from a tiny town called Yulee, Florida, in northern Florida. And when my grandparents passed, 
the one thing I wanted, you know, my, my grandparents weren't fancy people. My grandfather raised hogs on the side. You know, we have lots of pictures of us just running around, you know, my grandmother, that type of soil where you throw out any type of seed and everything flourishes. You know, she's the one who had the, the, the okra bringing chickens next. And, you know, we're city girls. So it's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my. What is happening here? But I will say when my grandparents passed, um, you know, it's not like we had big, fancy family heirlooms. And I told my mother, I was like, the one thing I want are these skillets. I want these cast iron skillets and I have them. And so when I make certain things, it's like, clearly it's not me. I'm not a great chef. It, it's clearly the pots. That's, <laughs> when the all say it's the pots. That's right. Okay. Well, I'm here with Chef Jannard Wells. Chef, are you ready for question number two? Yes. Bring it. I'm feeling good. now. You're feeling good. You're doing great. Okay. Question number two, this actor, filmmaker, playwright, and entrepreneur opened the country's first black owned film studio and it has no proprietary partners or corporate backing, making it the first of its kind. Who is the man responsible for this historic accomplishment? Would that be Tyler Perry? You are correct. You're two for two, chef. So Tyler Perry Studios opened in 2019, and the 330 acres houses 12 different sound stages, making it the largest film production studio in the United States. Located in Atlanta, the studio is larger than Walt Disney Studios, the Warner Brothers, and Paramount Studios combined. And just up the road in Macon, Georgia, an exhibit dedicated to Perry is being featured at the Tubman African American Museum. It will run through 2025, and it tells the life story of Tyler Perry, including childhood photos and even some of the performance costumes he wore as a child. So, Chef, I know you've worked with Tyler Perry in the past. Tell us about that and what his work means to you and to Atlanta. You know, it was truly an amazing experience to garner the opportunity to work with Tyler Perry. One of the things is I believe in speaking things into existence that aren't as they were. And when I saw Tyler Perry on the rise and, and really achieving so much, I look at, it as, look at it as not only is he achieving greatness for himself, but he's paving the way for us and for others that come behind him, that desire to do what he's doing or anything in our own facet, this shows us that it is possible, especially when you, you're growing up in a world of surroundings that would tend to look like it's not possible. And I, and I remember uh, Tyler Perry, I'd, he I got, I'd heard on the radio at the time I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, that Tyler Perry was coming to do a play, Medea's Big Happy Family. I reached out to the team at the auditorium where he was because I had no way of reaching out to Tyler and his team. And I told him, hey, I hear Tyler's coming here to do a, do a, do a show. I would love to cook for Tyler Perry because I said, oh, this would be an amazing, amazing accolade to have on my resume one day. And who knows where this man is going because he's on fire. So those are, as they always say, it's about synergy. If you attach, if you put yourself in a room for successful people, guess what? You can be fifth successful person because it's a synergy. So I reached out to them, told them I wanted to provide this free meal for Tyler Perry. I said, but I need you all to vouch for me. So I want to cook for you all for free. And if you like the food and you enjoy the meal, could you please reach out to his team and tell them I want to provide the same courtesy? So I did that. They enjoyed the meal. They reached out to him. It was about a month later, I get a call from Tyler's road manager. He said that, hey, we've heard, we heard that you wanted to, to provide this free lunch for Tyler Perry and his team. I said, yes, that's true. He said, but before Greg to that, do you know how many people is in Tyler Perry's group? I said, no, but 
this is something that I want to do. He was like, well, there's 150 people. There are three tour buses because he has actors, he has the people that build the stage, that breaks down the stage this whole now. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, what have I got myself into? But I want to do it because I believe in seeing things through. He said, great. Tyler was hoping that you said yes because people tend to reach out and want to do things for Tyler and they always want to charge. They always want some kind of monetary gain. I said, no, I don't. I just want to be it. I want to cook. I want to provide my services for him to experience my age. He said, great. Tyler said, not only would he accept your free lunch, but Tyler would like to purchase breakfast, dinner, and a snack. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is a blessing within itself. <laughs> and I wasn't even expecting that. And after that, I may always say, treat every opportunity as its last. I did. Look, we did our thing. At the end of the day, they enjoyed the meal. So they came back to us and said, hey, how would you like to travel with us? So when Tyler was doing what? plays in the Southeast, they would give me the location. I built a team out. We would show up at the auditorium, transform a room into a full dining experience for his for his entertainment and for his team to come in and eat the whole night. And it ended up turning into something bigger than what I envisioned it would. That's why I always say, never be afraid to think outside the box, just get out the box. I mean, Chef, what I hear you're saying also is one, that's just fortune favors the bold, but you really also took an investment in yourself and your talent and really put yourself out there. Yes. Just to see what the universe could provide. And here we are. I know, right? I mean, goodness, you know, and I mean, I, I think I want you to sort of tell us then a little bit more about your journey from sort of working with Tyler Perry. And what's really amazing is there's so many people who have stories like that about Tyler Perry and how he's given them, yes. you know, a leg up and opened up a door because he's been able to open up so many doors for so many different people. But transition from that experience to about your show on Clio TV geared towards a black audience, geared towards sort of being your best self and giving and, you know, showing up and and really having the courage to show up as your full self. Yes, and that is true. You know, so often do we tend to 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 watch TV, watch the media, and then we start trying to build these characters of ourselves that we think the world wants to see. When really at the end of the day, what the world is looking for, your authentic you. And that's what I always said. I wanted to come off as my authentic me. Although I was born and raised the early part of my years in Chicago, I got a Southern accent from living in Mississippi that I couldn't get rid of if I wanted to. I learned to embrace those things. You know, I learned to build on those. And although I built a, a strong platform from starting out from a lot, a lot of people that know me from my Food Network days, walking away from Food Network stars, the runner up, then becoming a, a sitting judge on on the best on top on top junior and then from there uh gets contributor of the best thing I ever ate. But I had a strong person that was always in my background, which was Kathy Hughes, the founder of TV One and Cleo TV, who was always mentoring me because it's true. It it it, it is I think it's great to have those that have paved the way to sow back into you and and miss you sowing into me and building into me. Who knew one day that Cleo TV, the network for millennial women of color, would come into existence? And I'm thinking here, I have this strong following that I built in the food scene. It was nothing more valuable and precious than taking that ability and putting it on Cleo TV to sow into our people 
so our culture can see that someone that looks like them, sounds like them, cooks like them, we can do this on a big scale because we've always been doing it. If you go back, we was talking about gumbo and okra. We know okra came here from Africa during the slave trade. This was the one tangible ingredient that Africans brought and that was so, so resilient that okra managed to grow here in Western civilization the same as it, it was doing in Africa. But we were the ones that was doing all the cooking if you want to take this thing back. As slaves, we were cooking in the big house and the field house. So by virtue of the fact everyone was eating our cuisine, it wasn't until money and success became involved in it that the culture started being stripped away from us and we were paying it all Oh, Or if you see an African-American or someone of color, the only thing that they can cook is soul food or either they can barbecue. Well, the truth of the matter, soul food, real name is American cuisine because it was a culture of food and recipes that was derived and created here in America by our hands that was sown and fed to everyone around the world and the culture as we know it. So that's why I take so much pride in New Soul Kitchen and creating food content through my amazing production company, Powerhouse uh, Productions now. Ooh, Powerhouse Productions. I love that. And so tell us a little bit more about what people can expect on your show this season. Oh, New Soul Kitchen, what people can really expect from me is stepping out of the realm and really cooking food that we love to cook. And I always, always want to drive in, drive in the point that when, when we as African-Americans cook food, all of our food is not, as they call it, fried, dyed, and laid to the side. We eat and create more. We eat more vegetation than anyone else because we were the ones that was growing. If you even look at South Carolina, at one point, the African-Americans doing that, they was harvesting and growing more rice than anywhere in the in the world. We were selling rice back to back over into Asia. And now when you think of rice and things like that, you think it's, it comes from over there. But at one point, the most rice was being produced by us, by our hands. And we still create some of the greatest grain, some of the greatest crops. And we cook with more vegetation than anyone else. So our style of cuisine, just because don't get me wrong. Now, I love a good fried chicken, especially That's sweet right. fried, fried chicken all day long. But we can create a lot more than that's what I'm doing on the show. It's showing people how we step outside of the box when it comes to cooking and create great food with less of the fats, less of the lards, less of the sugar, less of the processed things, just getting back to the basics and doing it in a fraction of the time. Right. And, you know, as we learn more about black farmers, as, we, you know, living in New York, seeing the back house of certain uh, restaurants, most restaurants, the diversity that exists there and all the different cultures and cuisines that are brought in. I love what you're doing and I cannot wait for people to check out the show. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. OK, chef, are you ready for question number three? Yes, yes. You are doing very well. OK, question number three. During the Jim Crow era of segregation. This Miami, Florida hotel hosted some of the most prominent black figures in America, including Nat King Cole, Muhammad Ali, Dr. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Aretha Franklin, and Jackie Robinson. What is the name of this place? That would be the historic Hampton House, which is, oh, now, look at you. <laughs> which is now an amazing museum, but might I add. So if you hadn't experienced it, you have to experience the culture is amazing inside of the building. 
So the historic Hampton House, which Chef got correct, it's because Black people weren't allowed to stay in most hotels in Miami Beach, Black celebrities like Sammy Davis Jr. would perform in popular clubs and then return to the Hampton House to stay. The historic inn had 50 rooms, a jazz club, a restaurant, and a pool. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was famously photographed there wearing swim trunks. And after winning his first heavyweight championship in 1964 and speaking his famous line, I am the greatest, Muhammad Ali returned to Hampton House to celebrate, reportedly hanging out with Malcolm X and eating ice cream. Now, Chef, my dad is from Miami. Uh, His older brother, who's now 85, used to have a special pass uh, to even go on the beach and work on the beach. That's how segregated Miami used to be. And as you mentioned, the Hampton House is now a museum. And you were selected as a celebrity chef at the historic location, which hosted a six-part Supper Club series. I want you to tell us all about that. And what was it like knowing that you were in a space filled with so much Black history? Um, it, it was beyond amazing just walking in the doors because you can still feel that energy in the building. And that is so true. I, I stared at the picture hanging on the wall of Martin Luther King and the swimming pool, which blew my mind because, you know, when I think I have a dream, Martin Luther King, it's always super tight. But to see and this serious, him in the... right? Yes. But to see him, right, no shirt on, hanging out in the pool. What that, what that, one of the things that that really shares, that picture shares that not only was he a great man that paved the way for so many of us, but also he was a human being. Because too often do we get so caught up in the movement and the mission that we stop seeing the person, we stop seeing them as the person or the human being that they had a life, they, they enjoyed it, they took pleasure and enjoying life. And those things really stood out to me. But then also going into the room, uh, the hotel room, they still have done what, what Malcolm X was in, what Muhammad Ali sitting in the, sitting in those beds, seeing what, what it looked like. It was true. It's truly amazing and just breathtaking. I recommend anyone to experience that, but you have the opportunity to transform the outside corridors where the swimming pool is. We transformed that into a, a gourmet gala for that six part series. I had the opportunity of cooking with cooking for and with Shaka Khan, um, Eric Benet, and, and the and look, the list just goes on and on. But these one nights under the stars in Miami just it just it look, it takes your breath away. And to pair an ambience like that, great music and great food, what better place than do it and at I mean, the historic Captain House. I, I don't know what would be better than that. I mean, to feel the energy of you know our ancestors in that space. I'm so excited. We're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm here with Chef Jernard Well. We are talking all things Black history and good culinary Black experiences. I'm Torre. Join us for crazy true stories about stars who I really hung out with, like Snoop, Jay-Z, Prince, Kanye, and the time I got kidnapped by Suge Knight. Don't miss my animated series, Star Stories with Torre, from the Grio Black Podcast Network. Okay, I'm back. I'm here with Chef Jannard Wells. Chef, you are doing swimmingly. How you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling good. <laughs> Question number four. This James Beard award-winning chef is known for his Afro-Asian American dishes. And before becoming a chef, 
He was a professional opera singer and won both a Grammy and a Tony Award. Who is he? That would be Alexander Smalls. That is correct. So <laughs> Chef Smalls has also written several cookbooks, one of them dedicated to the Southern cuisine he grew up on. He has appeared on several cooking shows, including Top Chef. Chef Smalls has two restaurants in New York City. One of them, The Cecil, was named Best New Restaurant in America back in 2014. And I will say The Cecil has some amazing fried okra. Um, in 2021, he opened, and you might need to help me pronounce this, Alcabulan? Yes. <laughs> okay. So he opened Alcabulan, the first African dining hall in the world. It's located in Dubai and features seven, seven African chefs. He calls it a celebration of African cuisine, and there are plans to open a similar dining hall in Harlem, New York. So I know you're a big fan of Asian cuisine. Have you ever gotten to try any of Chef Small's dishes, and, and have you met him and worked with him? No, I've never met Chef, Chef Small's in person. I've, um, I'm affiliated with, the, with a, 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 a protege, a mentee that he started off by the name of Chef JJ. Um, has a restaurant in New York by the name The Field Trip. And to my knowledge, I think Chef JJ may have started out under Chef Smalls with the Cecil. And also, Chef JJ has a show that's on Cleo TV by the name of Just Eats. I like I like shamelessly plugging my brothers and sisters as well. Um, but to see his work and know that he worked with Alexander Smalls also speaks highly of what Ale Alexander Smalls' vision and what he creates. As a matter of fact, they wrote a book together, uh, I think it's uh, between Evan and Harlem or something like it. Very good cookbook that I have. But just to see what Alexander Smalls has created, I think, is amazing. And it shows that we are multi-talented. Because when you talk about opera and you talk about food, who typically can thinks to put those two together? But it's an art form. And that's what culinary art is, as I tell people. We're painting a picture with our plate, and we're so diverse. We're more than just chefs and what we do. We're we're here. We're human beings, as I always tell people, because people tend to think that the only conversation they can have with me is just about food. And I'm like, no, I think my repertoire of conversational pieces goes beyond that, and just and that's a testament to to Chef Smalls and what what he's con contributed to the food scene around the world not just new york because so much so much talent comes out of the ny nyc as well so and, and i and i hang in new york a lot so i love my new york brothers and sisters listen well you said the wrong thing because i'm gonna have you come over here to brooklyn and put together some of these grandma's um hot skillets and see what believe? you can do with my grandma's pots yeah i got you now speaking of hot pots what is your favorite asian dish to prepare Oh my goodness. I think I would have to say my favorite Asian dish is the crispy honey chicken. Odd story, when I finished culinary school years ago, my culinary instructor convinced me that I should travel around the world and really learn about the food culture. And they call it stodging now, but during that time, it was just traveling abroad and working for chefs for free. So, and I was working in exchange for knowledge and I, and I met, a Filipino and a Malaysian family that taught me so much about the culture and, and really how they keep their recipes so sacred to them. See, typically we, our culture, as we know, we always give it out everything. You know, we give out everything. We even take our money out of our communities and spend it elsewhere. 
But the Asian culture, they really keeps everything in, even their recipes. So to be taken in as a family member and for them to teach me that style of cooking was truly a blessing because it put me in a genre and a, and a style of cooking that a lot of African-Americans are in. Not only am I saying, oh, I'm just taking this, this Asian recipe and running it, but I've been taught by the culture, as a matter of fact, eight years ago, we opened the Asian restaurant up in downtown Atlanta by the name of East Wave Asian Fusion that I opened up with that family, to say, to say, the, to say the least. But I think my favorite dish is the crispy honey chicken. I, it's just something about that. And the key is with the crispy honey chicken, you don't use chicken breast, you use chicken thighs because they're the dark meats, flavorful, and just as tender. You don't batter it with flour, you batter it with cornstarch. Cornstarch and a little water, and that's what gives you that nice, good, crunchy coating. And then from there, you take soy sauce, sesame oil, and honey and blend it together to make that crisp, that honey base that you're going to fry your, your, your thighs in, and then toss them in there in a wok, finish it off with sesame seeds, and serve it over good fried rice. Can't go wrong any day of the week. Well, I hope our listeners finish this podcast because I'm about to just hang up on you real fast and go try this recipe. It's amazing. Oh, that sounds absolutely delicious. Okay, chef, you ready for question number five before we get to the lightning round? Yeah. Question number five. This Atlanta-based female artist and educator is famous for sharing African and African-American traditions from the female perspective. She's the founder of the New Freedom Project, that creates public art in communities affected by gentrification. You can find several murals painted by her all across Atlanta. Who is she? Oh my goodness. I think you may have me. And when we say artists, we talking about artists from the painting or music side? Murals. Murals. She's a painter and she's the founder of the New Freedom Project. I'm gonna have to hop in my truck and take a ride over the city because I don't like being on the dog. I'm lost. You got me. So it's Charmaine Minifield, and Charmaine has spent more than 20 years serving the Atlanta arts community. She's also taught at Spelman College and Freedom University, which is an underground university for undocumented students. So I know know you live in Atlanta, Chef. And so for our listeners who've never visited there, um, can you explain sort of the significance for you for living in a place that celebrates Black history, Black people, their talents? We've got so many HBCUs there. You've got a culinary scene. You've got an art scene. You know, I've got a good friend um, who works for Project South, which is, you know, grassroots organizing, linking young people to older organizers. And they're doing work all across not just Atlanta, but the South and even on the continent of Africa. So what's what's special about Atlanta? You know, you you lived in Chicago. You've lived in Mississippi. You know, your family could settle anywhere. Why Atlanta? Um, well, first off, let, let me give a, a hats off to Charmaine continue to beautify the city. Uh, and thank you for enlightening me on, on who's behind that. Um, but I think Atlanta is truly an amazing melting pot of a culture of people that are all thriving for success. And when I talk about success, I'm not just talking about monetary success. I'm talking about the history and the cultural success part of allowing people regardless of what color you are when you come to Atlanta you're gonna know that Atlanta is ran by the African-American culture you're gonna see it see us at the forefront of what we do whether it's 
from the murals to the colleges to our mayor to the restaurants. But also, we we possess the ability here in Atlanta to to dive into other cultures and not be afraid to mix and mingle and bring an essence and an experience of what we envision the new South should look like or what it should look like. And I think Atlanta is that beacon because it's a lot of African-Americans, Brown and others that that are in the South that need some someone to represent someone to represent them to their fullest. And that's what Atlanta does, even from the food scene. We have some of the, some, the most diverse food palettes in, in, in Atlanta and the surrounding areas, whether it's, whether it's brunch, whether it's seafood, or whether you want to go um, African, Caribbean, Cajun, you name it, you see us at the forefront of it in creating this mecca of a, of a food tour sphere. And so if you ever want to get in touch with your culture, I have to say that uh, Atlanta is definitely one of the places that you want to visit. It, it should be on your bucket list to visit. I know we talk about going, going to the beaches, going, uh, going to islands, all that. But if you ever want to experience the culture within its fullest, come visit us in Atlanta. You should be on the Tourism Bureau because from the recipes that you've given us today and the way you've laid out how you conceptualize food and think of it as a community building exercise, uh, I think our listeners, especially the ones in Atlanta, are incredibly lucky uh, to have such a vibrant culinary scene. We're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm here with Chef Jernard Wells. We're talking all things food and culture. We'll be right back. Okay, Chef, we are back. It is time for the Black Lightning Round. You've done swimmingly. For our listeners who are just joining us, we are playing the Blackest Questions with Sh- Chef Jernard Wells. It is time for the Black Bonus Round. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, so in this round, you just tell me the first thing that pops to your head. There are no right or wrong answers, and we'll go from there. All right. Okay. <laughs> if you had to choose, what's your favorite Southern dish? Uh, fried chicken all day. <laughs> okay. See, I'm a fried fish girl. Um, are you drinking sweet tea or lemonade? Uh, on a Palmer. Have me sweet too. Tea, have lemonade, yes. That's right. And, and in Baltimore, they call it a half and half, yep. which I love. <laughs> What's your favorite thing to do in Atlanta? Uh, my favorite thing to do in Atlanta, I would have to. I like jogging a lot, so I love climbing Stone Mountain with my family, and we we try to do that at least once every two weeks. Oh wow! Yeah, because okay. when you get to the top, the view is amazing, and it's not climbing. So for those that are not here in Atlanta, it's not climbing like the Roman Chef with the. It's actually a mountain that you walk up. It's literally probably about a mile and a half, two miles high in the air. It's a journey, but it's all concrete, hence the name Stone Mountain. But when you get to the right. top, you can it's see several it. states. You can see the old, uh, you can see all the different points because that Atlanta has three high rises. They have Bucky, Midtown, and Downtown. So it's a beautiful view. Oh, can't wait. Okay, ham sandwich or turkey sandwich? Turkey sandwich all day. All day. What celebrity are you dying to cook for? Who would I be dying to cook for right now? I would have to say, I would love to cook for Jay-Z and Beyonce. (laughs) All right. Let's put it out there. Let's manifest it right here on Blackest Questions. Okay. One has to go. Mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, collard greens. Mashed potatoes go all day. 
I gotta have okay. my mac and cheese and my collards. That's right. And for me, I have to have some hot sauce on top. You better believe it. Okay, at Thanksgiving, sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie? Sweet potato. That's right, all day long. We can get right up trim- with the pumpkin pie. Listen, listen. And I translated my grandmother's sweet potato pie recipe because, you know, she didn't have it written down. So I I sort of took the whole, like, well, add a little more. How does it feel? So, you know, I wrote it down somehow and translated it. Thank goodness. Okay, last question. What's your favorite Tyler Perry movie? Uh, Why did I get married? Okay. Well, listen, Chef, I want to thank you so much for joining us on, on The Blackest Questions. And I want to make sure our listeners don't forget to check out New Soul Kitchen on Clio TV every Wednesday at 930 Eastern Standard Time. And also check out Chef's uh, new cookbook, right? Yeah. Um, you've got several, but the latest one, Southern Inspired. we got to make sure we support our friends here at The Blackest Questions. Chef, thank you so much for joining us. Please promise you'll come back. I sure will. Anytime. All right. Thank you all for listening to The Blackest Questions. This show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau. And Regina Griffin is our director of podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can find more on the Griot Black Podcast Network on the Griot app, website, and YouTube. Y'all, come look at what Michael Harriet just posted. Black Twitter. Come get your man. It's his podcast episodes for me. I was today years old when I found out Michael Harriet had a podcast. Subscribed. I'm world famous white peopleologist Michael Harriet, and this is The Griot Daily. That's right, the Black Twitter King has a podcast, The Griot Daily with Michael Harriet, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Griot Black Podcast Network, and accessible wherever you find your favorite podcasts. 